Okay, we're in Esther chapter 2, and this morning we'll be picking up again in verse 2 of chapter 2. So let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to study your word, and we just pray that as we go through this this book that we can see your hand uh, at act, in action, see how you cared for your people, you protected your people, um, and just see your working in the in the background, Lord, and in all these things that happen. And we just thank you for the, the opportunity to, to look at this and, and see how your word uh, uh, meshes with the history that we uh, know from the secular sources, and, and that that just uh, they confirm each other in this case that uh, Esther uh, can. The book of Esther confirms Herodotus and, and vice versa, Lord, and, and we always uh, enjoy seeing that. Lord, we pray that you'll bless our time now uh, this morning and uh, help us to learn and apply from your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, I think what we'll do uh, is chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1 and read through verse 18, 1 through 18. After these things, when the anger of King Ahasuerus had abated, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what had been decreed against her. And the king's attendants who served him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the harem in Susa at the citadel under custody of Hagar, the king's eunuch. Unit, who is in charge of the women, that their cosmetics be given to him. Then let the young ladies please the king, be queen in place of Ashby, and the matter please the king, if he did according to In the fortress of Susa, there was a Jewish man named Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive, Jochiam, king of Judah. And he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So when the king's order and his edicts were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in the custody of Hegai, Esther also was taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Hegai, who had charge of the women. Now the young lady pleased him and found favor with him. So he quickly provided her with cosmetics and food, gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace, and transferred her and her maids to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her, her people or kindred, so Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. <clears throat> Every day Mordecai had walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. <clears throat> During the year before each young woman returned to go to King Hazarus, the harem regulations required her to receive beauty treatments with oil of myrrh for six months and then with perfume and cosmetics for another six months. This is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go in and in the morning she would return to the second 
harem to the custody of Shah Gaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not again go into the king unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to King Erasuerus to his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Esther. Then the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his princesses and his servants. He also made a holiday for the provinces, gave gifts to, accordingly to the king's bounty. Okay. So, uh... Last week, what we saw is uh, after Queen Vashti had disobeyed the king's command, uh, he asked his seven princes, his seven advisors for a ruling. What should be done with her? Um, and Memukan, who was one of the seven, uh, claimed that her disobedience would spread to all the wives in the kingdom, that they would all hear about this and they would feel free to disobey their husbands. And uh, so Vashti should be uh, disciplined for this, and he suggested that she be banned from the king's presence. Now, there's some speculation here that there was some political infighting going on, that Vashti was too big of an influence on the king, and the princes wanted that influence, so they wanted her out of the way. And that was really what they were aiming at. But again, that's speculation, and it, but it fits. If you remember in the book of Daniel, uh, under Darius, he was the, given a rule uh, over all the other um, satraps, and then they connived a way of getting him thrown in the lion's den to get him out of the way. So it's it's similar situation. Um, so um, she was banned, and we saw that from secular history that Ahasuerus went off to war uh, in Greece. Um, he did manage to get all the way down to burn Athens, but then he, his land army suffered a defeat, his navy suffered a defeat, and so he turned and retreated back to Susa. And as Herodotus wrote, he looked for consolation in his harem. So he went home to be consoled after getting beaten in uh, Greece. So this morning then we'll start at verse 2. So looking at 2 through 4. Then the king's attendants who served him said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king, and let the king appoint overseers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that they may gather every beautiful young virgin to Susa the capital, to the harem, into the custody of Hegai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given to them. Then let the young lady who pleases the king be queen in place of Vashti. And the matter pleased the king, and he did accordingly. So I could see the, the king's return. He's looking for consolation. The queen's gone. 
So he's kind of moping about this big empty house. Maybe he's a little grumpy and the attendants are saying, what are we going to do about this? We can't have this going on. Uh, so they come up with a suggestion. <coughs> you know, let's, let's replace the queen. Um, let's gather all the beautiful young virgins in Susa to come and you can select a new queen from them. And that might kind of get him off their backs if that was the case. Um, I don't know if King's mope, but he might have been moping around. Um, so this is going to be a, a very extensive kingdom-wide operation. Note, he says, <coughs> appoint overseers in all the provinces. So he, he has specific men going to be appointed in all 127 provinces to go out and find the most beautiful young virgins and send them to Susa. Um, it says every one. Um, now this kind of sounds like it might be a little excessive. Yeah. It doesn't just say one per province. It says every, every beautiful woman you can find, send to Susa. Um, I, I think there might have been some limit on how many they could send. And, and you also would think there'd be some enthusiasm among the provinces because if your girl got to be queen, then you would probably get some special attention from the capital because she would want to bless her province. So they had some motivation, some political, economic motivation for, for winning this, uh, I guess you call it like a sweepstakes of some kind. Um, <clears throat> So they're going to go out and gather these beautiful young women up and send them to Susa. Let's turn back to 1 Kings chapter 1. <coughs> this isn't quite the same, but it... <clears throat> 1 Kings chapter 1. This is when David was old. <clears throat> Someone like to read verses 1 through 4. David was old, advanced in age, and they covered him with clothes, but he could not keep warm. So a servant said to him, Let them seek a young virgin for my lord the king, and let her attend the king and become his nurse, and let her lie in your bosom, and may the lord and that my lord the king may keep warm. So they searched for a beautiful girl throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishai the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful, and she became the king's nurse and served him, but the king did not cohabit with her. Okay. So this is kind of a little bit of a similar thing, except they just brought one girl to. Uh, she wasn't going to be appointed queen, so they, I guess, weren't working that hard to get the exact perfect one. Um, I remember hearing someone describe her as the, the king's hot water bottle. Keep him warm, because <laughs> he was, yeah. Apparently, he had circulation problems, so that's why she, Abishag was brought to Jerusalem. But I was thinking of this passage this week because I was in bed freezing cold, thinking if I just had one of those, you know, rice things, oh. and then I thought, oh yeah, I remember King David had somebody to keep warm. Yeah, that was her job. Um, so, 
These girls will all be gathered together. They'll be sent to Susa to the harem under the control of, it gives us Hegai, the king's eunuch. Now, he was not one of the seven mentioned in the first chapter. So that was three or four years earlier. Maybe there'd been a turnover. Maybe this was, Hegai had this position and the other seven served the queen. They had different duties. Um, but he's not one of those that was named. So he was the overseer of all the women, and now he's going to have hundreds more show up. So his job duties are increasing quite substantially. Um, it says they'll be given cosmetics, and we'll see that more about that later. But the, the word, just looking at the word, it, it can include the idea of both soaps and perfumes. It's kind of a general word. So they'll be brought to the king. He'll pick the girl he's most pleased with to be his new queen. And the king liked that suggestion. And so he ordered it to be done. Now verses 5 through 7 take us away from the action for a moment to introduce uh, Mordecai and Esther. It says, Now there was a Jew in Susa the capital whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. And he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So it begins with kind of a brief genealogy of Mordecai. And this really establishes that he is a Jew. So we're talking about someone who is definitely a Jew. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. He was living in Susa. He was not out in one of the provinces, but he lived there in the capital city. Nebuchadnezzar originally had exiled all the Jews to Babylon. Um, but Babylon had been captured by the Persians some 50 years earlier, and the Jews had since then migrated throughout the Persian kingdom. Um, Nehemiah is an example of that. He was also in Susa as the king's uh, cupbearer. So Mordecai and Esther are cousins. They are cousins, yes. daughter. Right. Um, now, verse 6 presents something can be a problem for some people. It says, who had been taken in, into exile you know, at the time of Jeconiah? If we remember by, right, Nebuchadnezzar basically attacked Jerusalem or came to Jerusalem three times. Um, so when was Jeconiah taken captive? Which one of these three visits? Um, now, he's also known in Scripture as just Coniah. He's also known as Jehoiachin. Yeah, so let's turn back to 2 Kings chapter 24. Okay, would someone like to read verses 10 through 15 for us here? At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. 
And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging it. <clears throat> and Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, gave himself up to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants and his officials and his palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign and carried off all the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house and cut in pieces all the vessels of gold in the temple of the Lord, which Solomon, king of Israel, had made as the Lord had foretold. Fourteen. Um. Through 15, please. 15. Yeah. He carried away all Jerusalem and all the officials and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen and the smiths. None remained except the poorest people of the land. And he carried away Jehoiachin to Babylon, the king's mother, the king's wives, his officials, and the deep, chief men of the land. He took into captivity from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay, so the first time Nebuchadnezzar came, Jehoiakim with a K, Kim, was the king. And this was like 606 B.C. And the, um, Nebuchadnezzar took him captive to Babylon <coughs> along with some of his um, royal family and some, a few of the leading men. And this is when Daniel and, was taken captive, 606 B.C. And he put Jehoiachin or Jeconiah on the throne. And they were supposed to basically pay tribute to Nebuchadnezzar every year. Well, Jehoiachin decided he didn't want to do that, so he quit paying the king, and so Nebuchadnezzar came back to punish him for it. And so this second um, invasion or attack in 597 B.C. is when Jehoiachin and all the people except for the poorest were taken away to Babylon. So this was the main big exile. Most of the people were taken. Um, the third time he came in, in 587, he destroyed the city. And, and the people that were left were basically scattered or, or killed or a few taken um, left. But there weren't that many left at that time. But that's when he destroyed the city. Because again, they rebelled again. Um, so anyways, the issue here is um, this exodus or this exile was t took place probably in 597 B.C. Now it's 479 B.C., 118 years later. And it says in verse 6, who had been taken into exile? Who is the who that he's talking about here? If it's Mordecai, then he's probably 130 years old by this time. And so the critics say, well, obviously this is in error. This is not an accurate historical book. And so it's not true. But what we see in verse 5 is we're given his the name of his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather. And it was probably his great-grandfather who had been taken captive. So the who refers not back to Mordecai, but Kish, or, yeah, son of Kish. Kish or Shemai. So it's, it's a problem of what we call a indefinite antecedent. 
I remember that because when I was a senior in high school, I wrote a paper and I ended up getting red marks all over this thing and indefinite antecedent, indefinite antecedent written all over the thing. They, he, she, it, who, what do they refer to? It's not clear. So that's something to watch out for. Now, archaeologists have found a lot of clay tablets at Persepolis. So that Persepolis is the summer capital. Um, and they have names like Marduka or Marduku, which is similar to Mordecai. Um, one of their gods was Marduk. And so they would incorporate the names of their gods into their names. And they think that maybe where Mordecai was, got his name. Um, but it says at least 30 of these tablets have these names in them. And they think that there may be, you know, up to four different men mentioned there. And one of them that was pointed out uh, that happened early in the reign of Ahasuerus, it mentions our Marduka who served as an accountant. And he came from Susa and was going on a tour of inspection throughout the, the region. Um, and if we look ahead in our chapter, in verse 21, it says, In those days while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, that phrase, sitting at the king's gate, <clears throat> refers to royal officials. This is another thing we learned from Herodotus. He says, The king's officials were required to remain at the gate of the royal palace. So it could be that Mordecai was a government official. He may be the one that was mentioned in that clay tablet. That he was an accountant who went on, he from Susa. So, when you're mentioning Herodotus, yes. that's the excavation of a city that gave us a lot of information. Or Herodotus was a Greek historian. Oh, a historian. Yeah, he was a historian. Like yeah. Josephus was. Right. Okay. Um, and those, you know, they weren't perfect. They, they, they missed things. But, um, but it is interesting when you've got the things that kind of correlate and fit together like that. So um, if he was a, a government official, that would also explain later on while, why he was hanging around the palace so much. <clears throat> you know, if he had been a businessman, he would have been out running his business. But he was in around the palace all the time. And that's a key to some of the, the story. Now we get to Esther in verse 7. Uh, he's bringing up Hadassah. So that the first thing we have is her Hebrew name. And it means myrtle, as in the myrtle tree. Um, so this immediately identifies her as also being a Jew. And again, uh, the nationality is very important to the story. Her Persian name, Esther, means star. And it's also a possibility that this is related to one of their other gods, Ishtar. So both their names are, have similarities to some of the Persian gods. It says she's Mordecai's uncle's daughter, which means first cousin. You know, it's like... A roundabout way of saying, you know, mm -hmm. I'm my uncle's nephew. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, me. Um, you know, but that you know that's how they described him. Um, Mordecai had, had taken her up and cared for her as his own daughter when her mother and father died. And she's probably at this time in her teens, maybe mid to late teens. I'm guessing Mordecai could be in his 30s. In, in my family, I'm one of the youngest cousins. My oldest cousins are nearly 20 years older than I am. So, you know, it's, it's very possible that there's enough of an age spread that she could look on him as like being a, his father. Um, so that gives us kind of a feeling for age and, and who they were. Uh, it goes on to say she was beautiful of form and face, so she was very pretty. She had an attractive figure, and this is what Ahasuerus was looking for. It says they want beautiful young virgins, and want, want someone who's beautiful. And so what we see is, you know, God's putting His pieces into place here. Uh, Mordecai's probably in the king's service. He's probably around the palace. He happens to have a very beautiful daughter. Adopted. Adopted daughter, yes. Um, and in this case, her physical beauty would have been given to her by God to fulfill his plan. You know, God gives us different gifts for different purposes in his plan. In this case, it was physical beauty. It was important. Okay, going on to verses 8 and 9, it kind of gets us back to the action. Um, so it came about when the command and decree of the king were heard and many young ladies were gathered to Susa, the capital, into the custody of Haggai, that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. Now the young lady pleased him and found favor with him, so he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and food and gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace and transferred her and her maids to the best place in the harem. So this decree goes out, and all these young ladies were, were gathered to Susa. And it says Esther was taken to the king's palace. The word taken can be taken by force. Um, we weren't, we could be pretty sure the girls and their families were not given a choice in this. This is kind of like getting drafted. Um, we see it going on in Russia right now where they're mobilizing men for the war in the Ukraine. They're taken against their, their will. They don't want to go. We're not told how many girls were taken to Susa. Josephus, another historian, Jewish historian, says there were 400. But again, there's, he doesn't explain where he got the number from, but he says 400. Haggai was in charge of all these women, large group of women, but it says he was very favorably impressed with Esther. And the text says she pleased him. Uh, he was, and this is this almost inevitably has to be more than just physical beauty. There's 400 of the most beautiful girls in the kingdom. What made her stand out? She couldn't be that much more beautiful than all the others. So it's probably her character, her personality. 
So there's a lot more to beauty than just um, what you see. I remember someplace where uh, it listed a whole bunch of common phrases, and I said, well, what does it sound like when you drop off the last word? You know, we hear, beauty is only skin deep. Drop off the last word. Beauty is only skin. <laughs> so um, let's look at Proverbs chapter 11. Someone would like to read verse 22. Proverbs eleven twenty two. Some read that for us. Okay. <laughs> you get the picture? <laughs> oh, this is so... Yeah. No discretion. It's character, yes. Character is very important there. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm guessing, if, you know, you got all these girls there, some of them probably really resented having been brought there and they fought it. You know, they had a very defiant attitude. Um, others may have been just scared to death. You know, they've been taken from some little hamlet and brought into the capital city. Um, some were homesick. Yeah, you know. Her so Esther's got the advantage of you know, someone she, she's close to can check in yes. on her. And, it was her city, right? She moved from her house into the palace, but didn't have to move that far. Um, and one of the, the commentaries are saying, you know, she trusted God to work things out. She had confidence that God would, would take care of things. Um, and I also think, you know, the, the Jewish culture was based on God's word. She had been taught how to properly respond to elders, to uh, uh, those who have authority over her. Let's look at... Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, and would someone like to read verses 1 through 5 for us? In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but it, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Okay, so Esther didn't didn't have a husband at this time, but she had this. This is the training. Peter was a Jew. He knew that that this was the Jewish culture. This is what the Word of God taught, and she had been trained that way to have that gentle, that quiet spirit, that inner beauty. And in her case, it accented tremendous external beauty. You know, it was like she's she was the whole package. Well, they say beautiful inside and out. Beautiful inside and out, yes. So she must have really stood out among those, say, 400 women because uh, she showed this kind of respect to Haggai. 
he was the one who was the basically the authority figure for the entire harem at that time. Um, and so she treated him with respect. Uh, she submitted to his uh, guidance and leading. And so in return, he showed her a lot of favoritism. He may not have been used to having that kind of respect shown him. And, and so he returned the favor. Um, she got the best of the cosmetics. She got the best of the food. It says he gave her seven maids, the best maids. Um, at, now these may have been beauticians in a sense, because that's what they're beautiful. You know, that's the process that's going on. Is they're supposed to become more beautiful for the king. Um, one of the commentaries said there's one for each day of the week. <laughs> so. I, I, I kind of doubt that, but that they rotated that way. One day on, seven, six off. Um, Esther and his maids got the very best room in the harem. I mean, he's showing her all kinds of favoritism here. And I think that's in response to the way she treated him and responded to him. Um, so he was very, very pleased with her. Okay, now going on to verses... Uh, 10 and 11 kind of takes us a little way out of the, the flow again, but gives us some important information. It says, Esther did not make known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had instructed her that she should not make them known. And every day Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. So again, we see Esther's submissive spirit to Mordecai, who had raised her. You know, she followed her instructions um, because he basically was her adopted father. He was <coughs> her protector. And he said, don't reveal either her people or her kindred. So her people would be the Jews. Don't tell them that you belong to the uh, race of the Jews. Kindred would be the relatives, which would include Mordecai. Um, and we're not really told why he told her to keep it quiet but he, we're not told why um, our, our kids when they were doing running start uh, they were given some advice I can't remember if it was like the school counselor but they said don't necessarily let your instructors know that you're a running start student you need to prove yourself as a student because there was mm -hmm. some kind of prejudice right. against the young kids that, you know, a lot of instructors felt like, you know, this, they aren't college age, they aren't college okay. kids. <clears throat> yeah. So the kids always just kind of kept quiet and, you know, turned their assignments in, did their best work, and eventually uh -huh. the instructors, you know, they, you know, they would find out or, you know, yeah. they may have even known all along, but they didn't yeah. you know, yeah. bring it up. Right, right. Let's, let's go back to Ezra chapter 4. This is something possible as an explanation. Ezra chapter 4, would someone like to read verse 6? Okay, 
So here Ezra is giving examples of some of the prejudice shown against the Jews. And uh, so it's the beginning of the reign of Ahasuerus. So that's where we're at right now. You know, we're talking about what happened. And so uh, the inhabitants of the cities around Jerusalem, so this is a long way off, but they had sent notices to the king in wherever he was, Susa or Persepolis, about how bad the Jews were. So, you know, they may have, uh, you know, um, basically uh, caused him to think, well, if they're Jews, then they're probably going to be just like, like those in Jerusalem. And, and so that might have turned that his attitude against the Jews. And Mordecai may have been aware of this. Um, so that's a possibility. It might have made things a little bit tense for the Jews in Susa. So he also did not want her linked either to himself or other family members. And again, you know, we're not told why. It might identify her as a Jew. That might have just disqualified her. And he didn't want that to happen. And, and again, that's not God's purpose either. God did not want that to happen. He wanted her as queen. Um, maybe he didn't want her linked to him as a royal official. You know, I don't know what, you know, if there was an issue with that or not. But um, as a result, you know, some some people are critical of Esther and Mordecai because they're hiding their Jewish identity. Um, and back in verse 9, you know, it says, Haggai provided her with cosmetics and food. doesn't say anything about whether the food was kosher or not, and it probably was not. Um, I don't think we need to look at Daniel, but that's... One of the first things we see in Daniel is he said, no, we're not going to eat that food. You know, give us kosher food and see how it works out. You know, you know they were very strict in maintaining their kosher food. So, um, so they're criticized for that because they were not strict in their keeping of the, the Jewish law. You know, and there, again, there's no mention here of Jewish, any Jewish ceremonies of the scriptures, of praying, of, you know, they basically were kind of secular and, and God still blessed them. He didn't, they're not condemned in the word. Now, one of the things we see is, you know, Mordecai's continued care for her. Um, he says he walks back and forth in front of the court every day, to see how she was doing. Um, and he might've had as an informant. Maybe one of the maids was in on it. <laughs> Would come out and say, okay, she's doing okay. Uh, now, now, this seems to me like it might be kind of dangerous. Mm -hmm. Haggai might have been told, you know, there's a stalker out in the gate. <laughs> you better get him arrested. <laughs> and so that's where the fact that he's a possible Persian official, he'd have reason to be there. Um, you know, the other thing that was kind of dangerous is, you know, it might have gone on that, yes, she was, a, you know, related to him and she was Jewish. So he had to be a little careful about, about that, so. Okay, well, we need to stop there. Um, we'll take up in verse 12 next Sunday. 
Debbie, would you like to close in prayer for us? Okay. Lord, we thank you for um, the variety in your word. We thank you for the work that Daryl puts into research and helping us with cross-references as well as historical context. We thank you that you have left a record of how you work through the generations um, and that you care for your people. And uh, we just ask that this would be an encouragement to us and that um, we would be able to shine forth your truth um, as we see these um, things and our faith grows. And we ask these things and um, a blessing on Robert's message and our time of worship and communion in the next service. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.